Who's ready for a tough question? I uh, hope you are because someone posed a really tough question to me the other day. They said, do our loved ones in heaven watch over us? And are guardian angels real? Now, I've had to learn by experience and I still forget this all the time, that when a person asks a question, there's an issue behind the question. And so when someone asks me, is, is my loved one watching me from heaven? I have to pause and think about what prompts someone to wonder about that. And I think the answer is honest and sincere grief. If you've lost someone that you loved and you're convinced that they are with God in heaven, which is joyful, glorious news, you still miss them, right? Maybe you love those conversations with your grandma or with your dad. And you love the fact that they're celebrating and they're not in pain anymore, but you, you miss them so much. Um, if you lost a child or especially a spouse and you just miss them being at the dinner table, lying in bed next to you, like the promise of eternal life in Jesus is great and you're not denying that, but there is a sincere ache in the human heart that we grieve and we want some connection. You know, we believe there was a connection in the past and we're going to be with them when we die in heaven, but right now we want like a present tense connection with those people and I wonder if that's what prompts this question. Uh, are my loved ones looking down on me? Uh, my father-in-law passed away a couple of years ago and when I was just a little kid, uh, my baby brother died at six weeks as well. So are, are Jimmy and, and Wayne looking down on my life? I think the most comforting, loving answer and the one that's most biblical is no. It's very tempting to want that. But then I think about my life and I think about what I want for my father-in-law and my baby brother. I'm not sure about your life, but my life is complicated. It's good. It's bad. There are days that I'm proud of and other days I'm embarrassed by. There's days when I smile and days when I cry. There's things I celebrate. There's days when my heart is broken. Would I want heaven to be years and years and years of that? No. <laughs> no, I, I want the people that I love to escape from this world and all of the heartbreaking things that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. I want my baby brother to be looking 24-7 into the face of God himself. That's what gives me the most comfort. And so I'm tempted to say, oh, they're, they're watching over us. They're, they're peeking down at us today. That sounds nice and fluffy, but it's actually not. I want heaven to be heaven. Remember in Revelation chapter 7 and I think Revelation 21, it describes this experience with God that there's no hurt, there's no mourning, there's no crying or there's no pain. I think that only exists when people are separated from the brokenness of this world. So, to this tough question, do our loved ones watch over us in heaven? No, they're enjoying heaven. And I know that's hard, but God's going to get you through the grief and the pain and he's going to reunite you so you don't have to look back in this broken world, but with them, you can look into the face of God. Secondly, are guardian angels real? Um, my answer is yes. <laughs> uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. 
Man, I, I wish I could tell you how all that works. Like what exactly angels do and how they serve us, I don't really know. <laughs> I can't wait to get to heaven and be surprised by all the ways that angels blessed us. But I do believe this scripture that God sends his angels to minister and serve those who will inherit salvation, those who trust in Jesus. Do they keep us safe? Uh, maybe. Do, do they redirect us from uh, temptation when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Maybe. I don't know that, but I do know this. They are there, they're guarding us, they're helping us, and they're doing the will of God. So, let's take our life day by day with the presence of God, the help of his angels, until that final day when we see Jesus and the people that we love face to face. I got one of the toughest questions I've heard in a long time the other day. Um, the question was this. How do you talk to someone about Jesus if you're pretty sure that their parents who are deceased are not with Jesus? Like, you might have a friend, a girlfriend, a, a boyfriend, a roommate, a coworker that you really want to share the gospel with, but the people that they know and love the most who have passed on didn't believe the gospel. And I'm guessing that the question comes because the question is going to pop up in their minds too. What does that mean for my dad? For my big brother? For my best friend? Wait, wait, you're saying if I believe in this book, the, the Bible and the things that Jesus said, that they're lost forever? That there's no second chance? Th that they're separated in a place of darkness and fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? That's a fair question. And if Jesus was right that the road to destruction is wide and many people walk it and the road to heaven is very narrow and few people find it, then this is a, a real question for all of us. So what's the Bible's answer? The Bible's answer is this, that it is worth it to save one even if you can't save them all. It's a sad reality that because of the world we live in that's broken by sin, that many people don't believe in Jesus. And many people will take their last breath without faith in Jesus. But God still says it is so worth it to save one, even if we can't save all. Do you remember the stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15? He told a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And he kept coming back to this, there's more rejoicing in heaven over just one when just one is found. And so I want you to share the gospel with your friend. Let the Holy Spirit calm the conscience and overcome obstacles because that person's eternity is at stake. Does it grieve the heart of God that their father died without Christ? It does. And it would grieve his heart even more if he lost another precious soul because Christ was not shared. So that's real. Be compassionate. Be patient. Weep with those who weep. And remember, it is only this message that saves. And don't you think that Jesus had to deal with this? He shared the good news of the kingdom, not just with little kids who had living parents, but with grown-ups. And in the first century where people died much younger, many of them probably had parents who had passed on. And we come with a new teaching, a teaching of grace and mercy a teaching of free forgiveness, that those who humble themselves before God will be exalted. What did his audience think? 
Now, I'm not sure if they thought about their parents. But I do know this, that Jesus did not let that stop him. He preached with compassion and love. Let me uh, leave you with an analogy. If there was suddenly a cure for cancer and your friend had cancer and both of her parents had died of cancer and you knew about the cure and she didn't, would you share it? And the answer is, of course I would. I, I wish I could have gotten it sooner to save more lives, but the fact that I can do something right now, there's good news, there is a cure, that means it's worth sharing. So let me reiterate, with all the compassion you can, share the gospel. Whoever believes it will be saved and the angels in heaven will rejoice even if God gets just one. What should I do if my family doesn't believe in Jesus? That was the question someone recently asked me. A parent said, I'm concerned for my kids, for their spouses. I know I should pray, but according to God, is there anything else that I should do? Now, before answering, I just want to slow down and feel the weight of that question. If as a Christian, you believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, that confessing your sins and trusting in his cross and in his love, like that is the way to be happy forever and to avoid all the, the guilt and shame and condemnation and darkness that we call hell. If you believe that like I do, then maybe you feel the weight when people you love don't love Jesus. Now, it's one thing to say not everyone's going to be saved, but when it's your son or your daughter that's walking away, when it's your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law that really isn't interested in coming on Sunday, this question is weight. I know for myself, there was one person that I prayed for every Sunday for 20 straight years. So this is personal. What do I do? I pray all the time for these people, their salvation. Does the Bible say anything else? And the answer is yes. There's so much to say. Let me give you three quick passages and three quick points. First of all, pray for an open door. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul was stuck in jail, but he still wanted to share his faith. And so he said to the Colossians, pray that God would open a door and pray that God would give me courage to walk through it. So if you're concerned about your brother's salvation, your son, your daughter, your best friend, don't just pray for them to be saved. Pray that God would open a door for you. Pray that God would give you the courage to walk through it. Pray that some random conversation would somehow take a spiritual turn that you'd notice a spiritual need and you could walk through and bring the good news of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. Second, talk about Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul has this logical progression. He says, how can people be saved without Jesus? They can't. And how can people meet Jesus if they never hear his word? They can't. How could they believe in the message that saves them if no one tells it to them? And so Paul says, go! <laughs> you know, be, be the kind of people that talk about that. So praying for someone will never save them. Sharing the gospel with them will. And sometimes when that door opens, we got to come through, we got to take a deep breath, take a chance and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Hey, I, I love you. Heaven is going to be so amazing. 
We won't suffer. We won't hurt. There won't be drama, stress, tension. We'll rest. We'll see the face of God. And I want you there. And I know I'm kind of the religious one, but can, can I tell you what gets you there? Ask for courage to share the gospel. Third and finally, live the most Christ-like life that you possibly can. There's this fascinating part in the Bible that I find myself going back to often. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's actually written to wives who are Christians who have husbands who aren't. And Peter answers the question this way. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. When you live a selfless life, a pure, like Jesus kind of life, when you're generous and kind, when you look for ways to put people first, even if they don't share your beliefs and faith, in this selfish, sinful, self-centered world, that stands out. And it might not happen today and it might not happen tomorrow, but your character, your willingness to serve someone for years might open that door. So when they go through that moment in their lives, they're willing to listen. They have ears to hear. And you can share with them the one message that saves. That Jesus died for you was raised from the grave for you. He is the way for you to get to God. If you love people who don't believe just yet, just like I do, that's what the Bible says you should do. Have you ever noticed how common cremation is? Uh, when I was growing up, 30, 40 years ago, um, I remember most funerals happening in a certain way. And just in my lifetime, I've sensed that things have shifted. Not just in other countries or outside, but even within the church, cremation happens more and more and more. And I think that's why someone recently asked me, Pastor, what does the Bible say about cremation? Like, is that okay? You know, the Bible teaches about a judgment day and a resurrection from the dead. Is it bad to be cremated instead of just buried? How would you answer that question? If you remembered what the book of Revelation said in the book of Deuteronomy, do not add or subtract from the Bible, how would you answer? You know, historically, this is kind of a complicated question. Generations ago, when people would hear about the resurrection of the dead that the Bible speaks of, on the last day, Jesus comes back, the dead are raised, their bodies are glorified, and they get to live with him forever. Sometimes people who wanted to scoff at that idea who said, yeah, right, a judgment day, bodies raised like skeletons? What, what, what is exactly going to happen to mock that idea? They would be cremated. And so at some spots in history and in some places, cremation instead of burial was connected with unbelief in the biblical teaching. So I would ask, is that true today? Is there any Bible passage that I could find that says you have to be buried like this. You know, there has to be a wake with the night before and an hour before the funeral service. Then it has to happen like this in a casket that we put six feet under in the ground. Is, is there any passage that says that? And the answer is no. Is there any passage that says thou shalt not be cremated? The answer is no. So is it a sin to be cremated? The answer is 
No. The truth is when Jesus comes back, it's going to take a miracle either way. If Jesus is going to take a dead body, a decayed body, a bones body, a burnt to ashes body, a scattered over a golf course body, and bring them back and make them a glorious body without aches or pains, without allergies or limbs, without migraines or anxiety, if this is a glorious new body, it is going to take a miracle of God. And that's exactly what's going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, listen, I tell you a mystery, a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The dead will be raised. Not the dead who were buried in the right way, the dead. (laughs) Everyone who trusted in Jesus, whose soul has been with him since their last breath, will be raised and they will be changed. So, can you be cremated? Yes. Your loved ones who believe in Jesus, who are cremated, are they with him right now? Yes. Will their bodies be raised, scattered as they are, and be gathered into something glorious and new? Yes. So, whatever you do in faith, whatever your funeral service or burial practice looks like, do it trusting in the promises of God. That's not sin. That's confessing your faith in the one who conquered death in your place. Recently, I got a really good question from a member of our church, a question that you might have asked too. The question was this, is it a sin to drink or do any kind of drug? I was thinking of the complexity of that question and I think I've narrowed down my answer to three (laughs) sub-questions. I'll try not to confuse you. Uh, My questions in reply would be, how old, how much, and what kind? So, is it a sin to drink? Well, I'd ask, how, how old? How old are you? In the Bible, in passages like 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans 13, it says that we should submit to the laws of the land that we live in unless the government is asking us to sin. And so, if the U.S. government says you can't drink if you're under 21, then would it be wrong to drink if you're in high school? The answer is yes. Unless you're a 21-year-old senior, (laughs) we can talk about that in a different video, Uh, the answer would be, it is always sin. Like whether you get blackout drunk, just kind of buzzed, or just having a a beer with your friends, if you break the law of the land, that is sin. So what if you're old enough? Uh, What if you're like me, or about half my age plus one, and (laughs) and you're 21 and it's legal for you to drink? Well, then my question would be, how much? You know, Jesus drank wine. He gave us wine in the Lord's Supper. The Bible and the Psalms talk about wine as a source of gladness. So it it can't be wrong if it's legal, but the Bible has a lot to say about how much. The Bible wants us to live a self-controlled life that is completely free from drunkenness. Now, as a guy who grew up in the Lutheran Church, I need to say this really clearly. Uh, As a guy who lives about a half hour from Green Bay, Wisconsin, In one of the drunkest communities in America, I need to say this even more clearly, that in God's eyes, drunkenness is always sin. The Bible does not say be self-controlled unless it's your birthday, unless you're on vacation, unless it's a wedding, unless it's a bachelor party. 
God knows how important our spiritual lives are and he always wants us to be in control. Our words matter. And the words that come out of us when we're drunk can do real damage, even if it was only drunk on a special occasion. The choices we make with our body matter. You know, it only takes one time with unprotected sex to change someone's life forever and our father does not want that. So is it a sin to drink? No, not if you're of age. Is it a sin to get drunk? The Bible's answer is always yes. So that leaves us with our third question. Uh, What about drugs? And my response is, well, what kind? There are all kinds of things that we can put into our body to help us from a medicinal standpoint, but are they legal or illegal drugs? And especially these days when there are so many pills that you can get legally, the question is, can I avoid being mastered by them? I'm sure many of you have struggled with prescription medication or know and love someone who has. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not everything is beneficial. We might have the right to do something, but he says in verse 12, I will not be mastered by anything. So if my own kid was asking me this question, Dad, can I drink? Can I use drugs? Uh, In fatherly love, I'd say, let's be very cautious with that. I love you, I want you to live in freedom and with self-control. Let's enjoy some of the things that God has given, but make sure they're legal and they're beneficial. Now, one last quick word. Um, Jesus was known as the friend of drunk people. And if you struggle with addiction or today's message brought back a lot of memories from your past, I want you to know that you can bring that to Jesus and he has forgiven it at the cross. Remember, he was the friend of sinners and you're no exception. Is it a sin? Often it is. And thankfully, there's forgiveness for every sin through the blood of Christ. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast but want to go even deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to check out all the great content that we put out here at Time of Grace. Um, The easiest way for you to do that, and the way that I personally do that, is by signing up for the Time of Grace email. I might be biased, (laughs) but I think the Time of Grace team does a great job putting all into one email, a written devotion, a video devotion, a blog post, podcasting options. It's the way that I love to start my day. And if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's a great way to start yours too. Just look for the link in the episode notes to sign up and thanks for your support.